We are all fascinated with the unexplained because it is just that, unexplained. Our minds need to understand what it is that they are experiencing. The paranormal is a belief. Some choose to believe, some choose not to. In each episode, I will endeavor to take a look at a case of the unexplained and try to determine if these incidents could have a simple explanation or whether the only rational explanation is otherworldly. I hope you'll join me on this journey as I visit a place with a history of hauntings. Hello and welcome back to episode 11 of A History of Haunting. Thank you to anybody who tuned in last week or has listened to any of the previous episodes. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Now, there is going to be no outdoor broadcasting part of this podcast, unfortunately, this week because it's a slightly different theme, something that doesn't lend itself well to that. Well, it does, but it would take a lot of visits to a lot of different places. This week, I'm going to take a look at cryptozoology in the UK, taking a look at some of the weirder creatures that call the UK home. We're going to take a look at some of the most famous cases of cryptozoology in the UK and some of the ones that are maybe a little less better known. And as is the History of Hauntings podcast way, we are going to be examining the evidence that supports each and examining the evidence that debunks each case and trying to come to some form of a conclusion as to how genuine these cases are. Right, I think we've set the scene. Let's take a look at the first case and that one is the Beast of Bodmin. Now, this is something that has fascinated me for many, many years. I actually wrote a letter to Tomorrow's World about the Beast of Modbin when they covered it, sharing my theory as to what it was. I have to say my theory's changed a little then since I was 14, but nonetheless, we're going to take a look at that one first. As always, I'll share any links of any websites that I've accessed in the show notes so you two can have a look and have a read in a little bit more detail. So, the Beast of Bodmin Moor. It was first spotted in 1978, so we're going back quite a few years, and there's been more than 60 police reports filed about it. Some of those reports detail how the people who have seen it were actually chased by the large cat itself, and the reports seldom differ. It always seems to be reported as something like a cross between a, a puma or a panther and a, a domestic cat. It's black in colour, has sharp, prominent teeth, and has yellowy white eyes. So I think for all intents and purposes, what people are describing is something very much like a panther that you could see at the zoo. Now, fortunately, most people don't report being chased by it. Most report seeing it from afar and seeing it in the distance. And that's why a lot of the footage or any videos or any photographs that have been taken of it seem to be quite grainy. And let's be fair pretty inconclusive as to what it actually is other than the sightings though that is other evidence and that is mutilated livestock now i read the reports i live in a rural area and we do get a lot of reports about mutilated livestock actually perpetrated by domestic dogs now could it be that i guess so because the people who have allowed their dog to do that or on accident or on purpose whichever it is are unlikely to report it i'm going to suggest but 
with the photographs, there is reason to believe that these mutilations could be carried out by a large cat. Possibly the most damning thing which seems to suggest that it may not exist is that the government actually took a look at this and filed an official report. It was thoroughly investigated and this was as recently as 1995, so 25 years ago. And they decided that there was no verifiable evidence to suggest the presence of a large cat living on Bodmin Moor. Now, I don't know about you, but my faith in government isn't total. So the fact that they haven't found anything doesn't suggest necessarily that it isn't real or that it doesn't exist. And ultimately, the report did say, although there was no evidence to support it, there was no evidence that they could really debunk it with either. There have been some attempts as well to fake its existence. Back in the 1990s, a skull was found, and this was thought to be almost irrefutable proof that the cat did exist. It was a skull of a large cat found near the banks of the River Fowey. Close examination of the skull, though, proved that it was in fact the skull of a leopard, and one that had been imported into the UK as part of a leopard skin rug. You've got to give them points for ingenuity there. Now, this isn't the only report of a large cat living in the wild in the UK. In and around the area, there are other large cats that have been spotted. And these are thought that maybe it relates to pumas that were released in the 1980s from Dartmouth Zoo. They were allegedly released or escaped. Stories tend to differ on that matter. But nonetheless, during the 1980s, there is this, and it is just a rumour, that there was a pack of pumas released into the wild. Others claim that it is large cats released on the closure of one of Mary Chipperfield's collections, or a private collection that she had during the 1970s. Now, if you've heard of Mary Chipperfield, you'll know she is a famous, and in some cases infamous because of the treatment of monkeys, uh, circus entertainer. However, scientists do debunk these theories. Ultimately, there isn't enough presence of wild stock to support a large family of breeding cats. They would not be able to live there successfully. The other possibility is, of course, that it is a breed of cat that used to exist in the UK, but has somehow survived extinction and is still alive and maybe thriving in the Cornwall area on the moors there. And there are others that believe there is some form of mythical creature that just appears out of nowhere, something that used to exist and is a ghostly apparition. Now this is one where I do think if we could debunk it or if we were going to debunk it, which I'm not, but if we were then we could be looking at that power of suggestion. We know that Bodmin area is famous for having a large cat there. So if you visit it and you see something out of the corner of your eye, maybe you could be inclined to believe something that you've seen is indeed a large wild cat. That's not to say that there isn't the possibility that there is a large wild cat out there. Personally, I'm inclined to believe that it does exist. Whether it is a puma that has been released from a zoo or a private collection, maybe it did used to belong to Mary Chipperfield, who knows. But there are enough sightings of this, and with the mutilated livestock, I just feel that, again, this is one of those stories that could be proved to be true. And it's one that I'd love to see proved to be true. I've been fascinated with this story now for over 30 years, and that is a little bit of a problem, isn't it? 30 years, you would have thought that maybe something would have come to light in that time that would prove categorically 
that it did exist. So there's a danger in that if we don't find something soon that proves it, the very fact that we can't does go some way to disproving it. And that leads us nicely on to our next case of cryptozoology. And this is the Beast of Exmoor. A little over 70 miles away and there is another case of a large cat roaming in the wild. The Beast of Exmoor is actually thought to be a Melanistic Leopard. Now, I've got to be honest, it's not anything that I've ever heard of. But this is a genetic mutation which exists in leopards in the wild. It reduces their vigour and it also reduces their litter numbers. We know that the area cannot support a pack of wild cats living there. So this goes some way to explaining how they could exist there in smaller numbers. I'll share a picture of this leopard on my Twitter feed, which is at HHauntingPod. And I think one thing you'll agree when you look at this is when we look at those or hear those descriptions of the Beast of Bodmin, and obviously this being the similar description for the Beast of Exmoor, this leopard looks entirely like you would expect it to look having heard those descriptions. It seems to me people are describing this type of leopard. So where once all those years ago we were talking about regular leopards that were being sighted or potentially having mated with a domestic cat, which seems a little bit fanciful, although that is the theory that I put forward to Tomorrow's World many moons ago, maybe now this genetic mutation has taken place and the beasts that are being described are these type of leopard. Another article that I'll share in the show notes is one of a couple who claim to have spotted this large creature and captured some good footage of it. Now they describe it being about the size of an Alsatian. Despite it being good quality footage, many people have debunked it saying that it's difficult to really identify the size of the creature. Many saying that you can't tell the, the real size of a domestic cat when filmed from a distance. Now, Lisa Deer and her fiance Nathan Deer no jokes please about that area and why two people with the same surname are getting married, seem quite convinced that what they saw was a large cat. Now, I'll share a still on the Twitter page and I, if I'm going to be honest about it, it looks like what they've taken a picture of is a llama. I could be doing them a massive, massive misservice there, but it just looks more like a llama than a large cat to me. So what do we think? Or more importantly, what do you think? As always, I'd love to hear your opinion on these matters. And if you have any photographs that you'd like to share of any strange creatures that you've captured in the UK or anywhere around the world. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please do so hhauntingpod at hotmail.com. As for my opinion on this one, well, these two creatures do look quite similar in everything that has been described about them when they've been spotted. There's been no real convincing photographs taken of them, but that's not to say that they don't exist. These creatures are notoriously difficult to spot in the wild and will keep away from people because we are predators and that's how they see us. Certainly, if they are real, this melanistic leopard theory holds a lot of water. They don't breed quickly, hence the smaller numbers, and the teeth, the eyes, both very distinctive. The fact that these two creatures are only 70 miles apart as well suggests that over time they could have travelled. This could be separate packs of these animals that are living out in the wild in very, very small numbers. However, it's the same as in the case with the Beast of Bodmin, with the Beast of Exmoor, is 
until some categorical evidence turns up whether that is the body of one of these animals then we don't have any real proof to support this theory and without that proof as time continues the less likely it seems that these cases are genuine i truly hope they are i truly hope they are but the longer that time passes without any evidence it starts to look that little bit more unlikely it's not just big cats that are said to roam the english countryside either there's always the stories of big hellhounds as well or large dogs Possibly the inspiration for Arthur Conan Doyle, or sorry, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Hound of the Baskervilles, there's the legend of Black Shuck. On the opposite side of the country to the big cats, in the East Anglia, Suffolk, Norfolk and Essex area, Black Shuck is said to roam. There's a tale that dates back as far as 1577 in the town of Bungay, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Story tells of the large dog bursting through the church doors in the middle of a lightning storm and killing two people who were kneeling to pray. The stories, though, go much further back than that, even back as far as 1127, where we believe this is the first mention of Black Shuck, and this hellhound was said to accompany a black rider something i guess like a nazgul from lord of the rings who was hunting and the dog was there assisting him with his hunt there are many that believe he is the living embodiment in canine form of satan himself this description of black shuck was published in 1901 proving that indeed his legend has endured for over 800 years he takes the form of a huge black dog and prowls along dark lanes and lonesome field footpaths where although his howling makes the hearer's blood run cold his footfall makes no sound but such an encounter might bring you the worst of luck it is even said that to meet him is to be warned that your death will occur before the end of the year so you will do well to shut your eyes if you hear him howling shut them even if you are uncertain whether it is the dog fiend or the voice of the wind you hear you may perhaps doubt his existence and like other learned folk tell us that his story is nothing but the old scandinavian myth of the black hound of odin brought to us by the vikings the most recent mention that i can find of black shuck is 1974 when again a young boy described seeing a large black dog sometimes it's described as being as big as a horse with mangy black hair and large red eyes some people saying his eyes are as big as saucers the legend was added to in 2013, when in a town just south of Bungay called Leiston, the skeleton of a very large dog was discovered. However, it turned out to be that of a Great Dane, which is indeed a very large dog, but certainly no hellhound. So what do we make of this story then? Well, let me go first on this one. I don't doubt that back in the 1500s or the 1100s or whenever these creatures were first spotted that maybe somebody did see a large dog but I suspect that's probably all it was like the skeleton that was unearthed being a Great Dane or maybe one of the large wolfhounds maybe this is all it is a large dog in a thunderstorm bringing terror and starting a story which would run for over a thousand years give or take a few they're wonderful stories to hear and wonderful stories to share but ultimately i think all they are is folklore and it's great to have these stories as part of our rich history but we need to keep in mind that these are just stories this is one that i don't buy into 
If you disagree though, jump into the show notes, click on my email link, click on my Twitter link and let me know your thoughts. As well as roaming our countryside, these creatures, these strange and unusual creatures occasionally wash up on our beaches. And the next case I'm going to share with you, and as I say, as I always say, I'll share the article in the show notes so you can read the newspaper article yourself. And this is from August of last year, and it is a strange creature that has washed up on our shores. Now, when we think about the wilderness out there in Britain, it's a very finite amount of space. There's not a whole load of it. Yes, there is an awful lot of square miles, don't get me wrong. But in actuality, when you compare that to the deep sea, there's a vast difference. So the thought that there could be some strange creature living in the ocean that we are not aware of is a lot more feasible. And when you think that man knows more about the surface of the moon than it does about the depths of the ocean, we shouldn't be too surprised that odd creatures wash up on our shores from time to time. This one washed up in Merseyside and was given the rather dubious title of the Ainsdale Anomaly. Don't get me wrong, nice little bit of alliteration, but gee whiz, need to work on that catchy name a little bit. I'll share a picture of the animal on Twitter. And I have to say, its description is somewhat unusual and quite baffling. It's described as being 15 feet long and is in many ways compared to something like a mammoth, as it is hairy. But unlike those extinct pachyderms, this one has flippers. If you've jumped on the Twitter page to have a look at it, then you'll know one thing. Certainly, it's really unclear as to what the creature is. It's very difficult to discern. Certainly, it had bones and vertebra, and it had ribs that were sticking through its carcass. Now, there are a number of rather interesting descriptions on there, comparing it to a cow and a number of other creatures. That said, the most interesting description involved a number of creatures. And I have to say, looking at it, it did cross my mind that actually that might be what this is. It could be something that has been consumed and spat out and not just one creature there. Maybe there was a dolphin and Lord knows what else involved. It's very badly decomposed and one onlooker described it as having a very foul smell when he approached it due to the decomposition. Now I have to say when I share this one it's because it divides opinion. There are other articles out there which you can go and you can research about strange creatures which have washed up on our shores. But I found this one a little bit more interesting A because it's recent and B because there's no real clear definition of what it actually is. I want you to go and have a look at that photograph and let me know your opinions. Let me know what you think it is that you're looking at. I don't doubt for one second that there are large creatures like this living in the sea that we are unaware of. That deep depth of water has not been explored anywhere near enough. We have very little insight to creatures there and new types of creatures are discovered all the time because of this. Large creatures though like this are somewhat rare. And the fact that they're somewhat where living in a great expanse of water means they're going to be very difficult to recognize and we're going to come across them very infrequently. So is this a large creature? I don't know. I'd love to know. Is it something that's been chewed up and spat out by a much larger creature? You know, maybe it is. That's certainly what it looks like. Something that's been devastatingly impacted by another predator. But certainly, like I said, Living in a large expanse of water that is for the most part unexplored means 
that this could be some strange form of aquatic creature. And that leads me nicely on to our final case of cryptozoology. And this one is without a shadow of a doubt the most famous case of cryptozoology in the UK. The Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie as she is locally known as. There have been reports of some strange creature now believed something similar to the old plesiosaur dinosaur living in the lake or Loch Ness for over 1500 years. And when we talk about a great expanse of water, that is exactly what Loch Ness is. In some places it's as deep as 800 feet and it's an expanse of water that stretches for 23 miles. There is more water in Loch Ness than in all of the lakes of England combined. So when we consider it a mathematical case of probability and ask the question, could there be something living in Loch Ness that is rarely seen? The answer is yes, because there is an immense amount of water there. And like I said, 500 AD is the time that there was first referencing a creature living in Loch Ness. Now these are drawings on rocks which date back 1500 years of this strange creature which should have been spotted in the water. So you'd have to say that unless it is some kind of mythical creature then it cannot have lived for that length of time. It must be more than one. It must be a family of them living in the water. The first written account of Nessie is a rather fanciful tale. Written in the 7th century, it tells the story of St. Columba who introduced Christianity to Scotland and in 565 he allegedly went to battle with a creature that was dwelling in Loch Ness that had been killing local men. So why then are we not hearing stories today of this creature attacking humans? And maybe that is because he had compelled it in the name of God to go back with speed into the water. Or maybe it's because it didn't happen. A lovely fanciful story and a great tale is born, but with such a fanciful and fictional start to this story, you then have to question the rest of the authenticity, don't you? If these stories are so made up, then maybe the idea of seeing the creature there, which stems from these early tales, is as fictional as they are. Or maybe the sightings are real, and the stories are just later fruity additions. If we jump forward though in time to, I'm not gonna say recent times because 1933 isn't in my view particularly recent, but it's certainly a lot more current than the 500s. A new road was built alongside Loch Ness in 1933. And it wasn't long before Moore's tales of this creature being spotted were being reported. In the same year that the road was completed, 1933, a couple reported seeing a large creature rolling and lolling around on the top of the water. And it's this report that happened on the May the 2nd of 1933 that really started the modern day phenomenon of the Loch Ness Monster. Because London newspapers sent people up to report on it and they were offering a sum of £20,000 which back in that day is a huge amount of money for evidence that the Loch Ness Monster existed. And obviously that amount of money being offered up obviously could potentially encourage the odd fake or two. And many sightings as you would expect were also seen, including one which described the creature actually not even in the water, but crossing the road. 
The Daily Mail even went as far as to hire a big game hunter to head up there and try and capture the beast, a gentleman with the great name of Marmaduke Weatherall. Weatherall too claimed that the creature had been out of the water, seeing giant footprints in the mud. And that led the Daily Mail to run the headline, Monster of Loch Ness is not legend, but a fact. This sent a whole load of people off to Loch Ness, intent on discovering themselves a little glimpse of the monster and possibly cashing in on that check and proving that it was indeed real. What wasn't real was Marmaduke's photograph of the footprint, which turned out to be hippo feet, or more importantly, a hippo foot, a stuffed hippo foot which had been planted into the mud. The hoaxer didn't even have enough sense to create multiple feet prints. He just used the one foot and multiplied it four times to make it look like the creature was walking. The same footprint. A disappointing hoax, but interest had most definitely been sparked. The original idea that this could indeed be some form of Plesiosaurus somehow surviving in the lake began in 1934. There is a very famous photograph that you will have no doubt seen of the creature with its head out of the water with its long neck protruding behind. Later believed to be that of a swimmer with his hand up ready to plunge it back down in the water and propel himself forward. This photograph for many years was the best proof that Nessie existed. The waters of Loch Ness are freezing cold and it is not thought actually that a plesiosaurus could live within those waters. So there's the theory that it is something called an archaeokite. This is a species of whale which has been extinct for over 18 million years. Or has it? Or are there a few of them left hidden in the deep depths of the Loch Ness? And obviously the thing about the lock is there are tributaries which will take it out to the sea. So there's nothing to suggest that the Loch Ness Monster actually lives in that lake itself. People who debunk the story of the Loch Ness Monster often describe what people are seeing and the photographs that people are taking are oscillations in the water that look like maybe a large eel or other large creature rolling over in the water. And certainly you know if you've ever seen these oscillations then maybe just maybe that is an actual depiction of what it is. That said though, research into the Loch Ness Monster has been ongoing and in the 1960s sonar was used in the lake to try and determine if there was anything living within the depths. And strangely enough, the sonar did pick up a large creature or a large anomaly that could not be determined what it actually was. So could this have been the Loch Ness Monster? Certainly, in 1975, the Boston Academy, they revisited the site and redid sonar experiments on the water. And they enhanced one of their images to look, and you'll have seen the photograph, to look like a large flipper. Certainly, for me, the most conclusive evidence thus far. Further expeditions have been taken upon the water, and yet there is still no conclusive evidence to suggest that there is a large creature within the water. So am I going to sit here and tell you that these stories of the Loch Ness Monster are hoaxes and fictitious? No, of course I'm not. At the same time, I'm not going to confirm that indeed there is a creature living within the lake. This is one of those stories that will roll on and on and on until categorical evidence exists to show that the monster is real. Because you aren't going to be able to prove that it isn't real because if it doesn't exist, 
you can't prove it. This has gone on for 1,500 years. It, nobody will believe the story that it isn't real until we can categorically prove that it is. So there's a no-win situation here. What do I believe if I have to take myself off the fence on this one? I suspect the oscillations are probably the real reason why we are seeing a large creature in the water. But then, what about that fin? That fin is really quite a compelling photograph, really. I don't really understand how sonar works, whether it could be a very blown up part of a fish shown, or whether the scale of it means that this has to be from a much larger creature. Either way, this is a great tale, and hopefully it's one that we will have an answer to one day. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been a very brief overview of some of the more unusual and more notorious cryptozoological creatures that dwell within the UK. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a little bit different to the normal things that we cover on the podcast. I just thought it'd be something that especially listeners from outside the UK and they are growing in their numbers now which is great to see people listening all over the world so thank you for tuning in if there's anything you'd like to know more about any of these cases then don't forget you can click on the links and read the articles in the show notes if however you'd like to hear more on this kind of thing you'd like to hear me talk about any specific case maybe mentioned today maybe not anything that you'd like to hear get in contact and I'll no doubt have a go at covering it just remains for me to say one more time thank you very much for listening and i do hope you'll join me again next week when i find a place with a history of hauntings Mm